everyone. Sorry for a little bit of a late start tonight, but happy to have you with us for Cover 4 Live. My name is Brandon Adams. Of course, I'm the normally the host of Dog Nation Daily. That is my day job. And we've got Connor Riley here and Mike Griffith from DogNation.com as well. Jeff Sintel will also be joining us shortly, and we'll talk about a lot with him that's been going on with UGA recruiting here over the course of the last couple of days. But before we get to that, though, it has been quite a week for UGA in terms of adding major, big-time, earth-shattering transfers. The former LSU tight end, I guess we'll call him a wide receiver now, Rick Gilbert, leaving uh, the Tigers program to come to Georgia. And, of course, another Tiger, Darian Kendrick, uh, leaving Clemson. He arrives at Georgia, at least via the transfer portal as well. This is as big as it gets for Georgia team that may have thought it was one or two players away from a national championship, at least legit contention status. And obviously by adding these big names, it seems like Georgia's taken another step in that direction. So there's a lot to unpack related to everything that's happened here. But I'm curious for both of you, Connor and Mike, and of course we'll get Jeff when he joins us here, just your initial thoughts on the news. Mike, I'll start with you. The additions of Kendrick and Gilbert, big picture, what do you think that it means? I think it's big. I think those were the two biggest boxes left to check. I mean, you wanted an an experienced cornerback of the lockdown variety. I think Kendrick's got that. He's got a lot of big game experience. He's been through a lot of adversity at life. Uh, I think he's got some mental toughness and some gumption to him. Uh, I like that addition to the secondary. And and Gilbert's the target. Brandon, you and I have talked a lot about receivers and, and the type of weapons that JT Daniels needed to win a national championship. Uh, I think this is your go-to guy. I think this is your third and 11. This is your big play. This is your red zone. This is your matchup nightmare for the opponent. And it's a lot to put down on uh, Eric Gilbert, but you know, he's 6'5". He's 249. Let's keep an eye on that weight. Got a feeling that'll be dropping as he moves outside. But uh, I mean, this is what this guy's coming for is to be the go-to receiver. I think it's big. Connor, how about you? Big picture, the additions of Kendrick and Gilbert this week. What do you think that it means? Not much, and not as much as people, I think, think that it does. Obviously, as Mike just laid out there, these are guys that are capable of making those big-time plays and big-time games, but Georgia was already an expected college football playoff favorite, a team that may be a dark horse uh, national title threat, and now that you add these two guys in there, at the end of the day, for me, it still comes down to JT Daniels and how much he progresses and the leaps that he makes this season. But having those two clubs in your bag, so to speak, especially in games against Clemson that first game of the year, potentially Alabama, these are the types of guys that can make that difference in making those winning plays in those games. Do you think the Clemson game is made more winnable by the arrival of Gilbert and Kendrick? I think it absolutely is, more specifically with Kendrick. And obviously he's had his struggles against elite competition. The numbers against uh, LSU and, and Ohio State in his last two college football playoff games have not been pretty. But not having to throw two first-time starters after a cornerback in that first game is going to make things a lot easier. Obviously, I think long-term over the course of the season, Gilbert is the guy who's probably going to make a bigger impact. But game one, the biggest issue was cornerback experience. And you add a guy who has 23 career starts, the first-team All-ACC performer, and it started three college football playoff games. I think that's going to be invaluable to a remade Georgia secondary. Mike, I've said this on my show a lot this week as well, that I think that for the national championship this year, I, I do think Kendrick is more valuable than Gilbert even though I've been as big and a Rick Gilbert fan as you can be for years, going back to the time that he's in high school, I've obviously followed his career and been, you know, I, I'm thrilled that he's coming to Georgia, speaking, of course, as a Georgia fan. But in terms of the immediate need, the cornerback position, the fact that Kendrick has played that at such a high level, and yes, he did have a little bit of an issue in the college football playoff, but generally speaking, he's played at a high level. I do think Kendrick is more immediately important for a national championship push than Gilbert is. It sounds like Connor thinks that too do you agree with that as well yeah it's 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 tough to say but from the standpoint that there was less quality depth at the cornerback position I know Keely Ringo is still working his way back we expect Keely uh you know coming off that torn labrum he's still getting reps maybe by mid-season he hits his stride we don't really know what Georgia gets out of Brandon Turnage the cornerback out of Alabama I think there's a lot of optimism uh you know he was a former uh, top 100 player uh although he was a little buried on the depth chart at Alabama but I think just from the standpoint of, of how much they needed depth uh, at the cornerback position, whereas like Connor pointed out, there were other weapons. Now, we don't really know about Dominic Blaylock. I think we're feeling better about Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. Uh, but there are a lot of targets there at receiver. And I think JT Daniels is a guy that can throw a lot of people open. Whereas at the cornerback position, I think you kind of got what you got. 
It's a position of high attrition with those guys coming up, making stops. We've seen that each of the last three years. Tyson Campbell with the shoulder in 2018. Uh, you know, last year, we, or then he had the foot injury. Stokes had a little bit of a shoulder. Uh, that's a position of attrition, and I think depth is very important in a 15-game season at that position. I want to push back and nitpick on one word a little bit there, Mike, if I'm hearing you correctly. You talk about you know the idea of, of depth and Kendrick contributing to that. In my mind, I view Kendrick as more than that. When you bring in Brandon Turnage, who, as you said before, in 2019 is like a top 100 recruit, top 10 defensive back, but a guy that really hasn't played a lot, that to me is an addition for depth. He might could be one of your best cornerbacks, or he might not be. You don't really know. His profile is very similar as a recruit to what Jalen Kimbers is. So you're talking about, you know, kind of replicating what you already have a little bit. In the case of Kendrick, Mike, I just view that to be an entirely different situation. He's been a starter. He's mentioned as a possible first-round pick. He's been an all-ACC performer. And, yes, I certainly understand that being all-ACC is not quite as challenging maybe as being all-SEC. I understand that. But it's still not nothing in the overall grand scheme of things. The point that I'm building to, Mike, is is if Kendrick doesn't step in filling a void as a day-one starter, essentially a plug-and-play type guy, I'd say the same thing about Tyke Smith, by the way, too. It's a nickelback position. But if but if Kendrick isn't a step-in, plug-and-play type starter from day one, then I think for me, and really for all Georgia fans, it's going to be a pretty big disappointment. Oh, I agree. I, I didn't mean to indicate anything but that he was going to start, but I thought he was more important because it kind of just moves the chain down. Now Amir's speed – you know, Georgia plays a three-cornerback rotation for the most part. And Amir Speed and, and Jalen Kimber and Kendrick are, is that three rotation. But now Keely Ringo isn't pressured to play before he's ready. He's that fourth guy. Nyland Green's in that mix. Brennan Turnage is in that mix. Now you're six deep, six quality guys deep at corner instead of just five. And so that was why I gave them the edge. Not because I meant Kendrick was a, a depth player, but just because I felt like there was still a need numbers-wise at that position. Of course, Darren Branch, uh, we reported that. We reported long ago that he wasn't on the roster for the spring game, the writings on the wall. But remember, that was the player who went home when he first reported. They had to talk him into coming back. So no one wanted to report he was off the team because who knows, maybe it's just another bout of homesickness. But this time, obviously, Georgia said, yeah, go ahead and stay home. So, you know, Connor, along the lines of what Mike was talking about there, this is where I think those numbers do come into play. Let, let's say that Kendrick starts for Georgia and he plays at a high level, however you want to define that. All of a sudden now you can put a veteran like Amir Speed and you can put young, talented players like Jalen Kimber and Keely Ringo if he's healthy and Brandon Turnage to a degree there as well. You can throw all those names in a pot and all of a sudden now they're battling for one cornerback spot, which means somebody's not going to get as much playing time as he was hoping for. I, I certainly understand that. But in the push to find a capable starter opposite Kendrick, the fact that you can now throw throw so many names into that hat as contenders for that, I just think it raises the possibility that you also find a competent and capable starter on the other cornerback spot now as well. Right. I don't know if Georgia's going to be able to do that for game one. They may, especially with a Clemson offense that figures to be pretty potent, even with the turnover that they have there. But now you get a better sense of, all right, we're going to have Jalen Kimber, we're going to have Keely Ringo, we're going to have Amir Speed. As Mike said, they don't have to put those guys out there if they're not ready. And I think they're going to allow that other cornerback position maybe to develop a little bit more now and be less trigger shy when it comes to pulling guys in and pulling guys out because they do have somewhat of a known entity in Darian Kendrick at that other cornerback position there, though. So wrapping all the transfers up in a nice bow here, we talked about biggest, you know, news breaker, whatever. This season, which of the four transfers that Georgia has brought in do you think makes the biggest impact on this team? I think it's Kendrick. Mike? <laughs> Guys, I, I go back and forth. I, I, I went with Kendrick only because of the depth factor, not because I just I worry about the attrition at that position. I, I think Gilbert's going to be big. I really do. But you guys know, I think a lot of JT Daniels. I mean, listen. This is an amazing statistic, right? We all know JT completed 67% of his passes the last three games of the season, and that's really good. But dig a little deeper, and JT Daniels and Georgia converted 64% on third down. Alabama led the nation at 59%, and that was without these sort of receivers, and that was without an entire offseason, and that was before a second year in Todd Munkin's system. So – 
I, I make the argument that I do think Gilbert's the go-to guy. I think it's a huge addition. I don't think he's going to be as good as George Pickens was going to be, but I think he's better than anybody else was going to be. Same token, Kendrick brings something that no one else had. I think Jalen Kimber is going to have a marvelous season. I think he's going to evolve into an all-SEC player. I've seen pictures of Kimber. He doesn't look like the same guy. You're going to be very impressed with Jalen Kimber. And I like what Speed has done. Speed had a very good spring. Yes, he got his feet caught up and got beat for a touchdown, but that's one play. I think Speed had a great spring. I think they're three quality guys deep with Kendrick and the extra body BA. I'm going with Kendrick on this one. Connor, answer your own question. I think it's Tyke Smith. I think he brings an element of playmaking, of known playmaking in that secondary that even with Kendrick back there, the Georgia secondary, I think, still lacks. He played at an All-American level at West Virginia last year. Seeing elite offenses like an Iowa State, like an Oklahoma, I think he's a guy that can come in, play right away, doesn't have some of the off-field questions that Darian Kendrick or Rick Gilbert, for that matter, seem to have surrounding them. I think he's a guy that's going to step in right away at that star position and really over the course of the season make an impact and be, I think, a big-time player for this Georgia defense. And it's good to have Jeff Sintel with us and Jeff I'll bring in on this conversation. Connor had asked about the four transfers that Georgia's brought in this year, which one makes the biggest impact. He makes the case for Tyke Smith. And, Jeff, what that reminds me of, and I know you'll remember this well, in the last couple of years, we've kind of thought of the star position at Georgia, that extra defensive back, being a complementary piece for the UGA defense. But if you want to go back to 2016, Kirby Smart's first year when Maurice Smith was manning that position, that was a playmaker's position on defense. Smith was essentially Georgia's defensive MVP for that for that season. So we have seen a Kirby Smart defense kind of be, I don't want to say be led by a, by a, a star before, you know, a nickelback before, but we've seen it be a very important part of the defense if you want to go back to 2016. So Tyke Smith having a larger role for this Georgia defense than some of the previous stars have had for Georgia. And by star, I mean I mean the nickelback, the extra defensive back. That's certainly a possibility. Yeah, guys. And I, first of all, I need to recap. Did Mike say something about Brandon Turnage being a Trojan horse, bringing in all the entire battle plans for the Alabama defense? <laughs> and did he say anything like that? I don't sure. think no. Turnage was – I don't think Turnage was going to be an answer here. So, so my answer to this question, I guess it's layered. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm running for office here inside the dog nation. Uh, senatorial district but I think the most important guy is Gilbert because I think Gilbert changes the way and and I think I heard a little bit of Mike's argument about how um, he doesn't think he will be as good as Pickens but he will do a lot of the things that Pickens does I think the most important thing that Gilbert can do is he can he can he can gear some of that same coverage towards him as well that that George Pickens was going to draw and I think that's important now, I don't, I don't see a 75-catch, 1,200-yard, 14-touchdown season for Gilbert. I didn't even really see that for Pickens. But I think having that guy in there um, will, will basically keep defenses honest when they try to defend Georgia's tight ends, their running backs, as well as their, all the receivers across the front. I think the most impactful guy is going to be Tyke Smith because uh, Tyke Smith is a guy that you look about how Georgia – and what I mean impactful is this is the guy that's going to bring the thunder and a lot of wins. It's going to show up in the box core, going to be different, going to defend a lot of those hard-to-defend guys. Um, Production-wise, played an All-American. Uh, I, I've learned so many so many good things about Tyke Smith over the last month and a half or so um, that I think I think Tyke Smith has that All-American potential. You think about Kendrick, and, and this is a lot. This is the way I look at this, fellas. I don't think Kendrick is going to play at the level that Eric Stokes or Tyson Campbell did. Maybe if he does, that's great. But we saw what a first-round corner did for Georgia in those matchups against the against an Alabama and against an LSU teams like that. Uh, I think the difference maker all across the all across the field. I think that's going to be Tyke Smith. Why wouldn't Darian Kendrick play at that level, Jeff? I just don't think he's as good as Eric Stokes. I don't think he's as good as uh, Tyson Campbell, especially year one in a Georgia defense. I think it's harder to harder than most might think to learn the secondary, the concepts, the adjustments, the route adjustments, everything that happens after the play. Um, not saying Darian Kendrick is a uh, is not a first-rounder. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is for him to assimilate as well as Tyson Campbell three years in, Eric Stokes four years in into the Georgia defense, no matter how vastly talented he is, I think that's going to be pretty hard to do. Connor, let me bring you back in on the Rick Gilbert conversation for a moment because it's interesting to hear – you know, Mike say what he says, calls him the go-to receiver. 
Uh, I'm taking that to mean that Mike thinks he'll be Georgia's leading receiver this year. Jeff, in a lot of ways, kind of echoes that sentiment. And obviously, I wouldn't be as big a fan of Gilbert's as I am if I didn't think that was a possibility. But I'm also, I guess, more open to the idea that he still plays a more of a complimentary role for this Georgia offense. I'm not quite sold on him being, even though athletically I think he's very similar to George Pickens, I'm not quite as sold on the idea that he's a replacement for George Pickens. How do you feel about that? I think Jermaine Burton leads Georgia in receiving yards this season. I still, I, I think he's going to have a very, very big year for Georgia. Well, obviously, I, I think Gilbert is capable of doing some of the same things Pickens did. Well, Gilbert is an absolute stud athlete. Leaping ability is not to be underestimated. I think that is a one-of-one trait that he has across college football. And I, that's just not – Rick Gilbert, while he is a fantastic athlete, he is not the leaper that, that George Pickens has been for Georgia. And I, I do think it's also – it's going to take some time for him to, to get up to speed here at Georgia. And there are some good, capable options at that X position – even if Pickens never ends up coming back from that ACL injury. I think Marcus Roseme Jack Saint is going to eat into some playing time there. I think Justin Robinson is someone who's going to prove to be a capable option at that X position where I think we all think Arik Gilbert is going to line up at. And I think I, – so just with all that Gilbert could potentially bring to this team, I think maybe it's a year from now where we really see that Arik Gilbert turn into that player that Brandon Adams has always thought that he was going to be a true stud three-and-out player. I mean, how much room do you leave for doubt on this, Mike? I mean, as I said before, I mean, clearly I I see the top-end potential there as much as anybody, and I've seen that with him for years. And I'm I'm really, really glad that that he's at Georgia. But this is a guy who's just kind of stepping into the situation. And, you know, he has a little bit of a, you know, kind of a unique athletic skill set, which means you have to be somewhat creative in how you use him there. I mean, how much room do you leave for doubt for what he will do at Georgia this season? I mean, I think you got to start with the notion that a lot of where JT goes with the ball is dictated by the defense. The, the question is, what are the what are the defensive coordinators think? Are they going to bracket uh, Eric Gilbert? Is that going to free up other players? Is is uh, Jeff Centel indicated in his reason for uh, making Eric Gilbert the the most? Uh, I can't remember if he said most valuable or impactfully. He, he was straddling the fence so hard, I can't remember which side he fell on there. I knew he threw in Tyke Smith, but the the point is is. Um, I do think that, that to Connor's point, it does take some time to learn. We don't know how quickly he'll get up to speed. The good news is JT Daniels is the teacher and there'll be a lot of time spent in the off season. And, and frankly, when he was being recruited the first go round, JT was the guy that was talking to him and the first go round, it, it didn't come to Georgia because he wasn't going to be the guy. George Pickens was still going to be the guy. And Georgia was very upfront with Eric Gilbert about that. Well, now George Pickens isn't the guy. And lo and behold, here comes Eric Gilbert as a receiver to play the X. So that is the primary position in this offense. I mean, that's the go-to spot, uh, barring the defense doing some crazy things that opens up other guys. But, you know, JT is a guy that makes so many adjustments at the line of scrimmage, Brandon. You know, you could maybe, maybe Kiaris Jackson leads the team in receptions. Is that slot underneath? JT showed us in the G-Day game. He'll lay it off. Maybe, maybe James Cook has a 52-catch season. I mean, I don't put anything out of the question. And then you ask yourself, what does Kirby do in the fourth quarter of these uh, nothing games? Is, is he going to run the four-string tailback 12 times? Or is he going to let JT Daniels turn it loose? Or maybe put Carson Beck in there and let him throw five or six times in the fourth quarter uh, against UAB? Uh, you know, time will tell. I think there's a good argument to be made uh, for a few of these guys, Jermaine Burton, Eric Gilbert, uh, certainly Kiaris Jackson as well. Uh, Jeff, how much do you think the presence of both Gilbert and Kendrick, the two big names in this week, how much do you think that improves Georgia's chances of winning a national championship? Man, I, I sure wish I could sound like a bookie, which is the language you got. You love to speak here, Brandon, but I think Georgia <laughs> goes from a, I think Georgia goes from a clear six, seven, eight team to now maybe a two, three team. I think, I think that's where they're at. I think maybe now, now Georgia's fan expectation that Georgia should win or be number two or number three. I think that's in line with where the roster is, especially where the rest of the country is. Um, I, I really, and I hope, I hope you guys have said this on a bunch of your shows this week, but for me, I think this major thing is that this coaching staff and this head coach is going to do everything he can to eliminate every personnel flaw 
and gear up this program for these runs at a national title. I, I think this is as stacked and as loaded as any Georgia team has been. You know, you don't have a Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb clear all SEC historical guys in the backfield, but the receiving core is so much better. The offensive line is too deep, is so strong. The quarterback position um, has a lot of depth there. Uh, you keep looking all around. I mean, they've got players in places now where they got they're going to unleash fourth and fifth, third and fourth year guys in Nolan Smith and and Adam Anderson. I think the back end woes have been. Uh, all the triage on that looks pretty good now when you add a depth piece and turn in, you add a Tyke Smith, uh, and then you add a, a Kendrick as well. I, I just think, what is it, Brandon, you like to you say the Death Star uh, is fully operational? Man, I can't imagine there's any more turbo laser batteries, any more deflector shields for JT Daniels. I can't imagine Georgia had, could, has constructed a team as ready-built for a national title as the one they have right now. Uh, Connor, how about Star- you? The Death Star was blown up twice. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a great analogy to use. I know everyone loves Star Wars, but let, let, let's not ignore the fact that the Death Star was defeated and blown up on multiple occasions here. And if that happens for Georgia, it's going to be a very long offseason this time next year. I think well, that's – Brandon's used Death Star a lot in his terminology. That's it, That's the metaphor that he likes. And, you know, I think the that? Empire would say that Luke Skywalker was offsides when he, when he fired the ion cannon. Um but, yeah, I think that's probably uh, fair to say. Connor, how much closer do you think this brings Georgia winning a national championship by adding these names they've added here this week? Smaller than I think most people think. I, I, I thought Georgia was maybe a little bit ahead of where Jeff uh, – seven win Jeff Sintel uh, had them. Uh, I, I think Georgia – I think Georgia – seven and three in reference to what you thought they would go last season. Let's, let's, this show is canon after all. Uh, I, I, they were probably maybe the fourth or fifth best team, maybe third. And now, I mean, talent-wise, they're up there with anyone. I just think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to can JT Daniels be the player that I think everyone here thinks he can be? Can he be the guy that makes those throws? Can he become Mac Jones? Can he become Joe Burrow? Those guys who took a little time to get to where they needed to go. As much as we love to talk about five-star quarterbacks as freshmen and what they do early on, Mac Jones was, I believe, a fourth-year player. Joe Burrow, I believe, was a fourth- or fifth-year player. So does this seasoning and maturity that, that JT Daniels now has, now that he's further removed from this knee injury, can he quite frankly be the best player in the country because that's who's ended up winning the national title in each of the last two seasons? You know, Connor, for me, and I, I agree with most of what you're saying, but for me, I don't think you're giving enough credence to the fact that Georgia on paper has eradicated one of its biggest needs. You know, lack of depth, lack of experience in the secondary by making the moves that it's made this offseason. I think it's really made some bold strokes in that direction. And that alone is not going to be enough to win a national championship. Because like the one thing I think people do discount is individual players don't change odds very much. Goofball Danny Cannell tweeted about that this week. Oh, the Georgia Clemson point spread, you know, hasn't changed with the addition of Rick Gilbert and, and uh, Darian Kendrick. Individual players, unless they are just like top shelf quarterbacks, they don't move lines very much. So on the one hand, I think you're right about that. But on the other hand, there aren't many teams that could stare a huge need in the face during the spring by the time you get to summer say, well, I guess we don't have to worry about that anymore because we brought in three pretty gigantic names to help you know figure all that out. I don't think you're giving enough credit to that, if you'll allow me to say so. Well, so my, my pushback to that would be, so Darian Kendrick is the obvious player you're referencing there in, 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 in filling Georgia's biggest need. He's been awful in games against big-time competition in LSU – and Ohio State the last time, two times he's been out there. And, you know, Georgia Clemson first game of the season, they're going to need him to play a lot better. And based off what we've seen the last time, he's played those types of games. And that's why I think Georgia went out and brought these guys in so that they could win more specifically those type of games because they didn't need Darian Kendrick to beat Florida. They didn't need Arik Gilbert to beat Florida. They should have won all 11 of those other regular season games. They bring in guys like Gilbert and guys like Kendrick to win those big games against Clemson. And as much as we like Darian Kendrick and what he could potentially be and what he's done, I don't know how you ignore how poorly he has played against LSU and Ohio State the last two times he's played those teams. And he's definitely had bad games. Kendrick admitted that. We played some of that audio for you last week on Dog Nation Daily. Still doesn't scare me off the idea this is a pretty big addition for Georgia. And, Mike, the one thing I'll add to this when it comes to Kendrick, and I know this is going to sound conspiratorial, but I'm not kidding. Clemson's notorious for sign stealing. At least that's the allegation that's been out there. It's been written about many times by respected journalists, Clemson has been thought of as a sign-stealing team. To have a player on Georgia's roster against Clemson week one 
who might be able to help kind of sort of tip off where the sign stealing might be coming from. I, I, I've said this on my show before. I, I truly believe this to be the case. If that's been the kind of thing that Clemson's been alleged to have done in the past, I'm frankly not even sure it's necessarily cheating unless they're doing, you know, Spygate type stuff. But, you know, it's kind of gamesmanship, all is fair and love and war type deal. But whatever it is, if that's what Clemson's doing, to have a guy who might help mitigate against that, I don't think that's such a bad thing for Georgia to have. Yeah, I think all teams steal signs for starters. But I want to rewind a little bit. Uh, you know, while we're seeing the praises of these great Georgia cornerbacks that are first-round picks, let's remember that Florida and Alabama both threw for over 500 yards. And if we wanted to step back and say Tyson Gamble played poorly, we easily could because he looked like he didn't know what he was doing against Alabama in coverage. He got beat repeatedly by Florida and Tennessee. Uh, Kendrick played 23 games. Two of them were bad. Uh, 21 of them were pretty good. I would contend that Tyson Gamble uh, hasn't done any more in his career than Kendrick. In fact, what did he have? One interception in three years, but he looks good in a uniform and he was a five-star and Kirby told us enough times that he was good. Uh, the, the play on the field didn't indicate, I'm still trying to remember him being in any sort of oil painting moment. Uh, that play Tyson Campbell made, maybe the fumble recovery against Missouri his freshman year and he suffered a shoulder injury on the play. Uh, the best thing he did then was get knocked out of the game because that allowed Eric Stokes to come in and show everyone that he was the better cornerback and convinced Kirby Smart to start playing as he should have been doing from the start if he hadn't made the promise to the five-star from South Florida. So before we get carried away with how great the cornerback play was, I don't think we should have amnesia. We need to remember that Georgia's the highly regarded defense, and I know this because I wrote and spoke about him as much as anyone, maybe the greatest defense we'd ever seen gave up more yards against Alabama and Florida than any Georgia defense since 2013. So let's not celebrate the former corners too much. Let's remember a lot of this has to do with scheme and who the opponent is. The rules are set up for the offense to win. Now, the good news with Kendrick is Clemson, while they didn't play as much Matt zone as Alabama and Georgia, they do have that as part of their package. So Kendrick will have some familiarity. I can't tell you how he's going to play in the opener against Clemson. I can't tell you how much time do DJ Uyunglele will have to throw the football. That's going to be a big factor. And then flipping it over, Connor's asking questions about JT Daniels. I think JT Daniels, I mean, I'm just listening to what Kirby Smart says. Kirby Smart says the question is, how much can the offense around him get? Can these receivers get on the same page? I mean, let's be honest. Two years ago, Cortez Hankton didn't get a raise. That's for a reason, because those guys were running in circles. And Jake Fromm didn't know which way they were going to turn from game to game. So I think I need to see the burden on the receivers to run the right routes at the right depths to make the right reads. I'm not worried about the five-star quarterback from Southern California that led the team on a touchdown drive with two minutes left or a field goal drive with two minutes left against one of the top defenses in the nation, despite having uh, some, I don't know, matched book offensive line. I've got questions about Matt Luke, for that matter. Can they find a left tackle that can block? I didn't see one in the G-Day game, Brandon. Well, it is kind of interesting because I've had people bring this up to me all week long, Jeff, that as excited as fans were to bring up to see, you know, Georgia add Gilbert, there has been a lot of questions about, oh, gosh, all of a sudden now maybe even more pressure to make sure you figure it out along the offensive line so you can utilize all these weapons that, that Georgia seems to have. How concerned are you about that, Jeff? It's an unsettled situation. I've said repeatedly that I'm probably not as worried about that as some people are because I like the names who are in contention, whether it's the guard spot or the tackle spot. You know, my my guess is is that that somebody emerges there. How concerned do you think UGA fans should be about that right now? Uh, scale of one to ten, I would say two to three. Uh, I think if I think they can get borderline all SEC play at a left tackle from Jamari Sawyer. That's kind of like the, the glass case on the field and do not break in case of emergency. I think if Xavier Truss, Roderick Jones, uh, you know, Warren McClendon, you know, and Marius Mims, none of those guys work out and it doesn't look like it's working out uh, by the Florida game. I think they can always move Jamari out. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Jamari will, they'll find the left tackle and Jamari will be just fine inside because Jamari will be able to play Maverick, Goose, Wingman, Obi-Wan, 
uh, Obi Wan. Uh, I, I I could say Darth Vader, but I know Connor would ding me there about that bad reference. Qui Gon Jinn. So, Qui Gon Jinn, but no, I, I was trying to look for one that didn't work work out in complete disaster. So uh, so I was trying. I guess you got to probably say Yoda and Luke Skywalker there, um, helping the guy and hand holding him along. But uh, you know, Brandon, you mushroomed the thought and allow me to to just crystallize this. Connor always has a great to- a lot of great topics for our show. Um, the thing I kept thinking about for today is what's the weak spot now? What's the thing that Georgia hasn't addressed now? Because you got to say the DB problem, DB issue, DB depth has been you know scattered, smothered, and covered to use a favorite vernacular for Brandon and Connor as well on a road trip. But what's the position now that is the most questionable question mark now for Georgia? And I mean, I mean, I mean a player that I mean, I'm really what I mean right there. What I'm homing in on is that position that Georgia doesn't have the horses there yet. Well, I would say it's two things. I would say it's clearly left tackle. And that's one of the things I think that generates so much conversation among fans this week. But I also think it's amongst this collection of potentially good receivers. Is there someone who can match the productivity that you would have assumed that Pickens would have had if he was here? So I'd give you probably both those answers, a singular performer emerging from the collection of wide receivers, but specifically left tackle. And, and Connor, I know you talk a lot about the offensive line. Um, I mean, isn't it true that the Georgia left tackle will be no worse than Jamari Salyer? Because if somebody was worse than Salyer, they just put Salyer there. I mean, isn't it as simple as that? Probably. I, you know, again, I, I think they really want to see what Tate Ratledge can do at right guard. And if Tate Ratledge is a better right guard, Xavier Truss is a left tackle. I think they're going to feel very comfortable putting – Jamari Salyer back out there at left tackle. Uh, I know Amarius Mims is someone Jeff is extremely high on and has all the physical gifts you would want from a left tackle. And I know Mike will quickly point out that he's only a freshman. Amarius Mims is not your traditional freshman. This guy is 330 pounds of brick at 6'7". So, uh, you know, the question there is, you know, does someone really emerge at that left tackle spot, whether it be Truss or whether it be Amarius Mims? I go back, I find it very telling that Broderick Jones didn't take any snaps during the G-Day game at left tackle. They were playing him exclusively at right tackle in that game, even though Jamari Sawyer actually got snaps at left tackle in that game as well. That maybe told me a lot about what maybe they think of Broderick and more perhaps importantly, what they think of Amarius Mims in terms of pushing for that left tackle spot. I want to talk some recruiting here in a moment, but Mike, how about your answer to Jeff's question with cornerbacks seemingly addressed and defensive back in general addressed by some of these recent transfer moves, biggest need on this team at the moment, most I guess significant unanswered question for you would be what? Yeah, I think the biggest concern is left tackle uh, because if you don't handle that sufficiently, you lose your quarterback for the season. It was just a couple of years ago that only four out of the 14 starters made it through the year. Uh, this is a violent league, right? Full schedule. Uh, Clemson's coming for JT. They're coming hard. And the objective is to put the quarterback down. Uh, JT goes down, it's going to damage the chances. I like Carson Beck a lot, but I think JT's special. I think he's a championship quarterback. So uh, that's the biggest uh, concern. The biggest question for me, and, and you guys aren't going to like this, but but I, I just question the management at running back. I, I don't know who's going to be in there when. Uh, I think Kendall Milton is the best runner. I think uh, Kenny McIntosh is the best all-around back. I think James Cook is the best receiver. I, you know, and, and Zamir White, you know, everybody loves him. He's come off two knees, but I don't think he's the best runner, receiver, or all-around back. But I think he's going to start because I think Dell's got a soft spot for him. I think he's a hard worker and a team leader. And I just don't know where the loyalty ends. Is it five carries? Is it 10? Is it 15? Uh, to me, that's a dynamic position. When you have the right guy in there, you can score from anywhere on the field. Um, but there's certain things that different guys do better. Uh, James Cook is the guy you want in there if you're going to be, you know, spreading it out and throwing it. Kenny McIntosh proved he could do it on the final drive of the Peach Bowl. And Kendall Milton, from all indications, guys, was head and shoulders above Zamir in spring drills. Um, So I don't know how that's going to turn out. Maybe Zamir will rally this summer and have a wonderful summer, but I just feel like the default button is going to get pushed and you're going to see Zamir White get 10 to 15 carries on loyalty. And I I, I just don't know how I feel about that. I have questions about the management at that position. Jeff, you look like sounds like you want to weigh in on this. I'll, I'll let you do yeah. that. What do you think about the running back position right now? Yeah, I, I think you know. Here's the one thing I'll, I'll I'll say about what Mike's saying there is I think Mike is looking at it as the alpha and the one guy, 
and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Georgia's backfield has shown it's two guys. So I, I don't, I don't know about the loyalty thing with Zamir. I think Zamir has to be one of the two best backs to get a, get a lion's share of the carries at Georgia. I think the ideal rotation for Georgia is to find two guys, not to find one that deserves it all. And, and you know, Mike, there's just, I know you know this, but Mike, I just want folks to hear this side of this is there's a, there's something to be said about that guy that is three or four years outside of high school that has had a clean bill of health uh, for the last two seasons. At what point, at what point is, are the knee injuries and at what point is all that going to drift away from the narrative on Zamir White? And I mean, that's an honest question. I mean, and I know, I know there's a lot of folks that want to say, you know, they hear this and, you know, Zamir White's a very popular player, but one of the reasons why Mike is so popular is he says what he feels and says what he thinks. So I just think that the more Zamir gets touches, the more he's in the game. I, I, I think there's no substitute for the amount of playing time and the amount of respect he carries around the Georgia team. And it's, and, and let's, let's just say this, what it is. If he's the best pass protector and the second or third best home run threat on the team, for whatever reasons you want to ding him up or anyone wants to ding him up, I think that's vital for Georgia this year with what they're trying to do to get the bat that protects JP in the cockpit the best and is going to pick up his man and is going to be as physically dominant as anybody. I mean, I, I see all this. I mean, Kendall's going to be great. He's got a great future. I think Kendall's going to spend three years at Georgia and then move on to the league and make a lot of money in the NFL. But, man, probably that's just the underdog in here, me, hear me, that I always root for stories, I always root for people. I think every running back in the Georgia depth chart really has one. Stories don't give you points on the scoreboard. But let's not forget that there's not, there's not five running backs, there's not ten running backs in the SEC better than Zamir White. Connor, before you jump in, Mike, why don't you respond to that? I understand what Jeff's saying. And to this point, Zamir has proven to be the most consistent pass blocker. And, you know, the guy you know is going to go the right way on every play. And there's a ton to be said for that because execution is going to be key. But, uh, you know, these guys hadn't had a spring practice before. You know, I, I just feel like if you've got a dynamic player like a Kendall Milton, you've got to let him run. you got to let him go. And it, it's a tough deal at Georgia. Sometimes you get recruited over. Sometimes the next guy's better than you. And Kendall Milton is an amazing runner, and he's a home run threat, and he's a game changer. And Zamir White, Jeff, isn't one of the top five backs. He's maybe a seven or eight at best. You know, I, I go back to the Can you name them? Uh, I would say I'd say the guy at Kentucky, Chris Rodriguez, is one of the best running backs in the league. I think Kendall Milton is better. I think Kenny McIntosh is better. I think that um, I go down the list, Alabama has a running back coming up that I believe is better. Uh, Tank Bigsby is better. There's five right there. I don't have the roster in front of me, but there's a reason why the guy hasn't made all SEC. There's a reason why the guy had two cracks from the one-yard line against Tennessee and didn't get in. He lacks vision. It's not the legs. It's the vision. And I've watched running backs for 25 years. That's a position I study really close, and I've seen a lot of great ones. Um, I don't need to go down the list. And some guys have the it factor. It kind of reminds me of when Elijah Holyfield was getting all those carries instead of DeAndre Swift. And I sat back and said, give the ball to number seven, for God's sakes. He was amazing. Hold on, but in 2018, though, Elijah Holyfield had an amazing year. He had, a year. he had a good year, but he wasn't a home run hitter, and he didn't even get drafted. DeAndre Swift was exp exponentially better, but he was also dealing with some injuries, if we recall. But it was clear that DeAndre Swift was the better runner. I don't think Zamir – is I, I would put Zamir on a level with Elijah Holyfield. And I don't think that's greatness. I think that's good. And SEC good is very good. But when I think greatness, I go back and I think about some of those runs that Kendall Milton had that were just mind-blowing. The run against Tennessee guys, there were it took nine guys to get the moose down. It took nine guys to bring – he was – I watched an Auburn defensive lineman hit him full speed in the shoulder pads. And, and the, the lineman went down, and Milton moved on like he was Iron Man. He didn't even break stride. I said, you just don't see that. That's an inhuman thing there. And the breakaway speed, I just I think Milton is dynamic. I think Milton could be one of the top two running backs in the SEC 
if he is set free this year. Connor, what do you think? I don't have much of an opinion on the running back position. I feel like we've covered it already. I mean, look, here's the only thing I'll say, Mike. With the exception of 2019, where DeAndre Swift got the lion's share of the carries, for the most part, this is a Georgia offense that has been built around multiple running backs. And don't you think that if Milton is as good as you say that he is, that he's going to show that this year? I mean, like, I obviously am excited about his potential there as well, but it's not like he's not going to get an opportunity to demonstrate he's as good as you just described him to be. I mean, if he's that good, then it ought to be obvious to everybody during the season, Del McGee and Kirby Smart, Smart included, right? Well, it depends on the substitution pattern. Last year, if you go back and look, if they got inside the 15, Zamir was going in. If a back ran off a good run, he got pulled out and Zamir was going back in. I mean, that was something that got talked about. I mean, this, this, is a, this is a team thing. I mean, I'm letting you know, this is a thing right now. Will he get the opportunity? I don't know. Does Zamir get the first two or three series? I don't know. Milton was better in the spring. There's nobody in the huddle that's going to argue that. Head and shoulders better. Now, why what wasn't that more ball? true on G-Day? I mean, I mean, I don't want to make too big of a deal. I didn't, see any, I didn't see any difference on G-Day. To your point, yeah. I didn't see anybody differentiate on G-Day. I didn't see any – I didn't think anybody was better than anybody. Yeah, I just uh, – like, this is – I just think, I think an important that's, uh, that's worth making is, like, someone else's eyewitness account of, of what went on is only going to go so far with me, right? Sure. I mean, it's like we all got a chance to see on G-Day, and we saw, you know – uh, as you said, a fairly indistinguishable performance from the group, which is not a condemnation of uh, of Kendall Milton. I still think he's a big time, you know, prospect. I think he's I think he's a big time prospect. But I would argue last year that you know I don't know that when he had a chance to play, the Tennessee run was amazing. But other than that, I don't know that he distinguished himself uh, apart from the rest of the group. Maybe as much as I hope he certainly gets a chance to do this year. I would say. I think we I think we agree on that point for sure. All right, let me uh, move uh, on here for a moment. It's uh, Cover 4 Live. That's Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel here, Connor Riley as well. My name is Brandon Adams. In addition to the very big week for Georgia transfers and everything that's gone on with that, it has also been a huge week for Georgia recruiting there as well. And really, it's not just Georgia who's been going through all of this. It's the rest of college football there as well. The dead period is over. It has been lifted. Visits are taking place. And you know, Jeff, I'm curious to get your opinion on this first, obviously because this is the subject you cover on a regular basis. What do you think the most significant moment of this week has been thus far, and what do you think it will be in the days to come? Hmm. Two, that's a good one, Brandon. I, I think the, the most important part, and, and I'm not going to be uh, a carnival barker here too hard, but I'm going to say this very quickly, softly. Um, I think this week is the most important week of Georgia's official visit cycle this weekend. Uh, Georgia's got to move the dial considerably with Oscar Delp. They got to move it with Kojo Antwi. Um, I, I think Branson Robinson's in town. Uh, I, I think this is the core of Georgia's offensive, hopeful offensive uh, ascendance in terms of a recruiting class where they get all the guys. I think these official visits are vital. I think Georgia's in a good place with a lot of those guys. They're going to have guys like Denylon Morissette, Marcus Groves, Killebrew, Gunner Stockton in to, you know, fill out the group photos and make everything happen. But let's face it, Georgia needs Georgia needs explosive, combustible TNT players at receiver. Um, and Delp is a special tight end as well. They got to restock the running back room. I don't know how many fans know this, but um, you're looking at a you know, Kendall Milton, and again, without getting back into running backs, he's a guy that I don't think will spend a fourth year at Georgia. He's a professional football player. Uh, one of two really, two or three really run, good running backs that I think Georgia needs to have to win in the SEC. Um, but it, uh, he's going to be gone by the time a lot of these guys are in are, are in town. Branson Robinson might have only one year with him. I think Lavoisier Carroll is going to be a full-time cornerback, full-time defensive back. That means they didn't sign anybody in 2021. Uh, you look at Kenny McIntosh, you look at James Cook, you look at Zamir White. Really quickly, Georgia's running back room is going to turn all the way over. That's why Branson Robinson is really important. Um, you know, th this has been a crazy day, Brandon. I think I set my record today. Um, I just thought about it for a second when I was kind of coming into our show as I was driving back. I think I've talked to seven five-stars today about Georgia in one day. Um, spoke to Mikel Williams. Uh, you know, you've got, you got a lot of guys that um, – are 
that, you know, I spoke to a lot of guys in this class, got a lot of guys in different years. And there's some really, really strong momentum there with Georgia's class. And I, I think a lot of these coaches are going to be, I think they've fully knocked off the rust in terms of hosting recruits now. And uh, the one that showed up this week, Brandon, I want to answer that kind of quasi question you had right here. I think the the two most important ones that showed up this week was the kind of a surprise uh, day one visit from Kamari Wilson, the safety, uh, five-star safety. Georgia has a chance, guys, to add, let me see, three five-stars in the defensive backfield in this class with Kamari Wilson, Keon Sab, and then Malachi Starks. Um, I know you guys like the thoughts of that, but uh, I think the other one was Mikel Williams showing up today. I think he's the most important remaining undecided recruit for a lot of reasons he's in state uh he loves the people at georgia he loves the new georgia uh, we'll have a story about him going up tomorrow but uh you know look at that defensive line guys i know we always talk about the present and we kick the tires on who's great who's not but uh Devontae wyatt bound for the league julian rochester i don't think we'll get a seventh year even though his Last season of high school football was 2015. Think about that for a second. His last year of high school football was 2015. That was when Mark Rick was still the coach uh, at Georgia. Um, and then you've got guys like, uh, I think, Trayvon Walker uh, going on down the line. I think they need to rapidly restock the defensive line group. And let me say one, one other thing. Bear Alexander, huge, big I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it right now. I know everybody likes these, you know, poster board, billboard statements. Bear Alexander is going to be the Richard LeCount the third of this class, and I think Georgia fans ought to take a swig of whatever they're drinking tonight to celebrate that. So, Jeff, I'll, I'll follow up because I was going to ask about Bear Alexander because you were rattling off all these important prospects that we're visiting and had not gotten to him yet. As someone who was on social media quite a bit, I couldn't help but notice the other week that. Alexander was on a FaceTime call with Texas A&M assistant Nick Williams at 3 a.m. in the morning. You're not on, yeah. on the phone with people at 3 a.m. in the morning if you're not interested in what they have to say. So based on and I actually think I believe I saw the back of your head in a Bear Alexander Instagram story. What makes you say that he is the Richard LeCount of this class, given how much Texas A&M figures you want to try and bring him into their own class as he is a five-star defensive tackle talent? And even though I believe he's the number 26 overall player, it would not surprise me if he even shoots up from there. So good question. Um, I think you got to know a lot of things about Bear Alexander's story to really understand that. Uh, I think I think really that's a loyalty thing to Nick Williams. I mean, he realizes that Nick Williams made a, a business decision for him and his family. Um, and I think that uh, – really the loyalty there is to Nick Williams and not just to, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm interested in Texas A&M because Nick was a very important part of his recruitment to Georgia. I'll give you a tease about the Bear Alexander story that will be up on Dog Nation relatively soon. Um, there's a picture. I know if you saw it on social media, there's a ton <laughs> of Georgia pictures on social media right now from their visits. And Bear is sitting there like that. He's sitting here like this. And I was like, hey, man, what's going through your mind in that picture? Are you posing? What's going on? And he told me, he said, he said, I'm just thinking about I'm in the Georgia locker room again after all this time. I'm so blessed to be recruited by this school. I'm so honored to be able to wear Jordan Davis's number 99 and carry on that tradition at Georgia uh, in five months. He can't wait to be a Bulldog. He told me he bleeds red, red and black. He said red, white and black, red and black were the primary colors there. And the main thing is that you see investment from Big Bear Alexander. I know you guys saw the pictures. I'm sure Brandon showed it on the show. There's a picture of him kind of shoulder to shoulder with Jordan Davis. And those two men look like peers, not, not, not two men that one's a senior in college about to be a high round draft pick. And the other is a senior in high school waiting to go to, waiting to, go to play college football. Uh, I think Alexander, what he does uh, behind the scenes, He's organizing the group chat. He's like, guys, we need to talk. We need to get together and talk. Um, those meetings every week. I think there's a lot of things about Big Bear Alexander. The biggest voice in the room, Dayon Bowie told me, um, when he talks, when he growls, I think the better way to say that is when Big Bear growls, everybody's going to listen. Connor, what's been your take of what's going on and what will be going on in the days to come? Yeah, I think Jeff absolutely hit the nail on the head there. I think the Kamari Wilson thing is extremely interesting. He forgot Dion Bowie's name there as, as another five-star that could be in that secondary as well. Jeff, you know, he's yeah. just swimming with the five-stars these days. It's hard to keep up with all of them. 
Michael Williams. Yeah, four. I, I, yeah Michael Williams is extremely important as well. I, I know Brandon is very high on Trey Scott. If he's able to to keep Bear Alexander, and it sounds like that's very going very well for Georgia right now, and then bring in a Michael Williams, and if they can close with maybe a Travis Shaw as well, I, I think that's important. But I, I want to go back to the thing Jeff touched on first: uh, the offensive playmakers in this class and why this weekend is so important. You look at the guys Georgia signed at those skill position players a season ago. Yeah, Brock Bowers is great, and I think he's going to be a very good player. But and Adonai Mitchell did play well in the spring game there and was probably under-evaluated. But Georgia really needs to go out and add those skill player types, those Kojo Antwees, those Oscar Delps, Branson Robinson. All three of those guys are going to be on campus this weekend. And if Georgia's class is going to be a successful one, much less whether or not it finishes as the number one class in the country or wherever it ends up being ranked, if this is going to be a successful recruiting hall for Georgia in the 2022 cycle, it needs Kojo Antwee, Branson Robinson, and Oscar Delp all in this class. And of course, Delp and Antwi are also both, as much as it pains me to say, seemingly having a good time in Tuscaloosa earlier this week there as well. So it's not just Georgia, unfortunately, that gets to host these recruits. The dead period has been lifted for the other schools in the, around the SEC, much to my uh, chagrin. Mike, I know it's not your regular beat, but you've obviously been following the recruiting stuff that's been going on. What's been your takeaway from all of it? Yeah, you know, actually, I, I, I had a chance to, to uh, see some players out in California and Ernest Green was a guy I talked to Jeff about and interviewed Ernest, and uh, we'll probably do some video on him. I mean, you talk about a Jordan Davis clone and family in Savannah, uh, making a trip later this month to Alabama and Georgia. He's the number two interior lineman in the nation. I want to go back uh, as far as the most important player, and, and, and you guys know I'm biased to the running back position. Uh, Jeff told me about Branson Robinson a while back, and you know, just watching this kid run, you know, the 5'10", 220, you know, the short, choppy legs, maybe not the best hundred time, but, you know, in spurts, the ability to change direction, the balance that I see, most importantly, the ability to catch the ball. And a couple moments ago, we were talking about running backs, and I guess I kind of flip it back to Alabama. And, and I like it when you've got a primary. I like it when there's a Swift uh, a la 2019 or a Najee Harris 2020. Uh, this kid, Branson Robinson, looks like he's got that ability to be that sort of back. And so I put that at the top because I think you're going to see a lot of single back. I know Jeff mentioned they played two back, but right now with this tight end room, I think we're going to see a lot of 12 personnel. I think you're going to see a lot of two tight end with big Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, along with John Fitzpatrick. So I see a lot of single back in the future, and that's why I prioritize Branson Robinson. And, and as for Barry Alexander, uh, that could turn into a, a grizzly recruiting battle. And the reason why is because of the NIL. And Texas A&M, uh, someone has once said, has more money than God. I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but it absolutely is a loaded university with money. And what that money means is the ability to come up with uh, name image likeness deals for kids. Bear is from Fort Worth. There's not many cities in the country larger than Atlanta. Uh, in terms of media markets. Atlanta is number seven right now. The Dallas-Fort Worth area is number five. And what I'm getting at is if Texas A&M uh, or someone in that area could put together a deal for an in-state kid, let's be honest, there's something about staying in-state. I'm not trying to talk anybody into going anywhere. Uh, otherwise, Tate Bigsby would be the number one back here right now, if, if for goodness sakes. But there is something to be said for if you stay with the in-state school, you get taken care of forever. You always have a job. You go out of state and don't make it and go back in state, it's not the same. And you can bet that that's what's being told to Bear Alexander. And he may like red and black, but everybody likes green. And if Nick tells him, hey, this name image likeness deal, Bear, you know, we got Bubba the Booster over here that owns the boat store, and Big Bear could be talking boats for X number of dollars with a name image. These are the things that are going to start to creep into the recruiting picture. Unfortunately, none of us like it, but this is real. This is happening. The couple of recruits I talk to are thinking about their marketing strategies as much as they're wanting to get their hands on a playbook. They want to get their hands on a graphic artist to do an emblem, to do the Z3 mask like Zamir White has already done. Everybody's thinking about themselves first. This is a different era. I don't rule anything out. Yeah, certainly it's going to be a recruiting battle to watch in the uh, months to come with Bear Alexander. And I have to admit, I really have no idea how 
the actual practical implications of what name, image, likeness are going to be. But that's obviously a story uh, worth following there as well. We're going to do some cover more in a moment. Take your questions and comments. Mike, before we do, I know you're watching the softball game closely today. Georgia loses a heartbreaker uh, to Oklahoma State in the first game of that, at least the first game for the Bulldogs. Uh, You want to give us a quick synopsis of what went down there? Yeah, well, first of all, they're playing Oklahoma State about 60 miles from the Oklahoma State campus, and then they got Oklahoma tomorrow Saturday in an elimination game. It makes a difference when there's 14,000 fans for softball. And, you know, it, 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 not to, uh, you know, girls aren't used to playing in front of 14,000. Softball players don't play in front of 14,000-seat stadiums. They just don't. This is something different. But it's in Oklahoma. It's a big advantage. But this Georgia team was gritty. Uh, they were tough. I mean, this this team, I, I can't help but fall in love with the storyline. No first-team All-SEC players, no second-team All-SEC players, no All-SEC defensive team players. A seven-game losing streak going into the postseason. The worst season on record in 20 years for Georgia. And yet here they are getting hot in the postseason uh, behind Mary Wilson Avant, this graduate student pitcher who was dynamic. And, and coming this close, a couple of close calls at third. Should the coach have sent the runner? Should they not? They lose a heartbreaker, three to two to transfer you. You know, four out of Oklahoma State's lineup is transfer players. Former ACC pitcher of the year. There was a former Georgia player starting at first. She tried to help out. She made two errors. But she also ended up with a game-winning RBI. I mean, there was a lot of drama. Oh, and this. And Jaden Fields, right? I mean, Justin, now, I I didn't want to say it this way, but let's just say it this way. Justin Fields' little sister, let me tell you, she's a gamer, man. She comes up in the last inning, and she's glaring. She's staring down this former ACC pitcher of the year, 26-3, and 1.4 ERA girl. And Jaden is staring her down. And she falls behind two strikes, and she hits one of those back up the middle of the pitcher that if you're in a slow pitch league, they're going to fight after the game. I mean, she just drills it back at this girl. And they've got them on the ropes, and they just couldn't quite finish. Now they play an elimination game Saturday against an Oklahoma team, Brandon, that's 50-3. and The good news is Georgia was the first team to beat them. Oklahoma came this way to play Georgia and Athens. They didn't want to do it as a favor. They wanted exposure in Atlanta because there's a ton of talent there. And Georgia beat them with Jaden Fields. So the drama is thick noon Saturday. If this Cinderella story, Georgia softball team, does the glass cleat fit? I don't know. The odds are long against them. And there you have it. An update on the Women's College World Series taking place in Oklahoma City this week. We'll obviously be rooting hard for the dogs as they take on the Sooners coming up on Saturday. Time now for our cover more. We'll take some questions and comments from those in the comments section. Real Cage says, I bet you couldn't hit that pitching. No, uh, when those girls get going, that underhand uh, delivery – uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to swing and miss on some of that. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be the case there. Uh, a lot of folks also weighing in as well here in the comment section. Uh, Senator Grant says Kirby's got to be less concerned with pleasing all his recruits and commit to playing his best players. You know, Jeff, it is kind of an interesting thing that there's obviously, um, I hate to use this word, but it's just the best thing I can say to describe. There is a political dynamic in place when you've got a talented roster, but you're obviously looking to maximize the talent that's on your roster, which means bringing in more players and not everybody gets the touches they want. Not everybody gets to play as much as they want. Managing all that is a challenge for the modern coach, is it not? Yeah. I think the thing there is you, how do you develop the young guys in clutch situations unless you just put them out there? I mean, Georgia recruits players, Brandon, where really they play one year or they wait one year and then they play one year and they're one year away from the NFL. I think Georgia looks at a lot of their elite guys as, they're only going to have three years with all of them. So they really would look at a, a complimentary player that they think, oh, man, he's going to be really good in two years. Well, he's going to be gone in two years. I think that's why you got to keep him. And I really the, – the main thing to think about there is you're you're playing defense against the portal when you play a lot of those guys. You don't want to be uh, without a quality two and three, uh, especially since this new offense is going to put up so many points that Georgia's going to be ahead 40 to 17 in a lot of fourth quarters of games. And you got to, you got to get those twos and threes out there. Yeah. That, I think that's uh, probably exactly right. By the way, Oren Chile also mentioning Jamon Dumas Johnson, Jeff, a uh, question for you specifically. Uh, Oren thinks that uh, Dumas Johnson is going to be a big time player. Yeah. I think he's going to get to Georgia 
He's at Georgia now, but I think he's going to get to the rotation faster than both Channing Tindall and Quay Walker did, and even Trouble Davis did. I think he's going to be a guy that you're going to see. You're going to see him sprout his wings and fly late year two and a lot in year three. I think he's another Monty Rice type player. And uh, oh, hold on a second, hold on a second. We've got a special special guest here. Uh, oh, what is what? What is that? What is that? What is that? You just made Mike's okay. night, Jeff. Okay, 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 okay. All right, first of all, first of all. Mike Peaches says hi. She says hi. But she says, come on, man. Lay off Zamir White, man. He's going to – what if he runs for 1,200? And what if he has 12 touchdowns? She's like, is that Griffith guy going to give Zamir some love when the when the Grizzly beat writers <laughs> sees a, a chrysalis emerge and the pure Zamir White rotating in and out with a splendid core of backs? Are you going to get – are you going to start barking about Zamir White when he does all that for you in 2021? That's a deal. <laughs> Let me squeeze in a couple more comments real quick. Connor John Smith asking about the coaching on the offensive and defensive line says, are y'all really satisfied with it? And what would you say to fans about what Matt Luke has done on the offensive line? And uh, as you mentioned before, I'm a pretty big fan of Trey Scott, what Scott has done as defensive line coach. First of all, I don't yeah, think that- you have any beef with Trey Scott. They led the league in rushing t- defense two years in a row. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, it's hard to find a fault with Trey Scott right now with both the development of talent with guys like Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and then how well he's recruiting on the offensive side of the ball. It was always going to be a tough first year for Matt Luke when you're replacing three guys who were NFL draft picks, and then you have the turnover and change within season that you had last year with Trey Hill missing time with injury, and then obviously Ben Cleveland opting out at the end of the year. So I, it's hard to judge Matt Luke right now based on on-field. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like this year when we do get a more normal offseason to sort of see how these things play out and how this Georgia offensive line comes together. Last comment, Mike, it's for you. Nigel Combs asking this on YouTube. How can anyone other than Zeus get carries the running back position if they aren't healthy and on the field? And, you know, you have seen, you know, Kendall was a little banged up last year. Kenny McIntosh dealt with injuries during the spring. Uh, Zamir White himself is obviously coming off a couple of knee injuries, you know, in his own right. Of course, now he's had more time removed since those injuries, but what do you make of the health situation for Georgia running back right now? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Kenny McIntosh missed most of spring with a dislocated elbow. It didn't require surgery, but he's expected to be back. And James Cook was able to get out to California for a little bit with JT Daniels and some of those other guys having fun in the California sun and, and working out, throwing the football in the sand, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think you do got to stay healthy and um, my discussion is all things being equal. Obviously, you're not going to play a guy with a pulled hamstring or a dislocated elbow. By the way, we're almost out of time. And I don't want to keep us too long, but did you have fun out there? I mean, I know you're I know you're working a lot while you're in California, but did you have a good time? Did you do any sightseeing or anything like that? Yeah, I did a couple. I got to squeeze in a couple of activities. I got to go to Dodger Stadium, which which I'd never done. And how much uh, of a dump I, is that place, by the way? It, it's pretty fantastic. It's pretty fabulous. I mean, it was. Uh, <laughs> Albert, but no, I totally agree with you that it's a historic venue and I'm a big time, old time baseball fan, but the stadium itself is kind of a dump though, isn't it? Weren't you, I was blown away by that when I first saw it, like it could be like a high school football stadium. Like it's not, it doesn't have any, and I'm not, I mean, it, it kind of doesn't matter because I mean, it's been a historic venue for baseball for a long time, but there's no bells and whistles in that ballpark whatsoever. Well, that's kind of the beauty of it. I mean, you look at the rankings and universally ranked in the top 10. And I think it's the setting, the mountains, right? The palm trees, Mm -hmm. uh, the Dodger history and tradition. They're great fans out there. Uh, It was a really enjoyable environment. I didn't feel like anybody was going to be drunk fighting in the parking lot or pouring beer over anybody's head at the end of the day. Uh, I I thought it was a great baseball environment. I, I haven't been to all of them. I've probably only been to nine or 10, but you know, I'd, I'd say it kind of had the Wrigleyest feel about like Wrigley Field when I went there. There's a, a certain uh, majestic note to it. Uh, I was able to go on an ocean kayak and, and see a sea lion. Really? That was pretty cool. Um, pretty challenging, I would say. Uh, interesting to see houses about ready to fall on the cliff. Uh, made me think about the Florida football program extending Dan Mullen. Uh, you know, <laughs> you just you just see that it was pretty fascinating. Uh, California in general, the weather's fantastic. Yeah. and. You know, I asked the people, you know, why are there so many great quarterbacks? And, you know, by the second or third day I was asking, you know, they're looking at me like like I'm crazy. Like, you've been out here a few days, right? I mean, the weather's perfect. It's perfect year-round for the most part. Now, 
obviously there's some setbacks and some challenges and a high tax base. And there's a lot that I love about the South. And that's why I moved my family here and, and why I live here to this day. But I can see why Californians love where they're at, particularly Southern Californians. It has a lot to offer. It was interesting seeing JT Daniels, the school that he went to. It's big time. And, and I'm biased towards the Southern high schools because I've seen player after player develop. But what they've got going out there at modern day in St. John Bosco is very special. That's why those schools have each had a share of the last four national titles. It's legit. So it was an eye-opening experience. Uh, I think it was educational. We were able to get five stories and six or seven videos. And uh, yeah, I was able to catch a little bit of the California sunshine. And Brandon, I will tell you, I I do think you would like Dodger Stadium, even though it doesn't have- I've been there before. The bells are whistles. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I liked it. I liked the purity and the, yeah. the old timiness of it, I guess. No, I listen, I, I like that. And obviously it's been the backdrop for some of the most memorable moments in baseball. So certainly you appreciate the history. By the way, real quick, and I promise we're going. So I took my kids to DC this weekend. We went to the Nationals uh-huh. game on uh I think it was Saturday night, one of the nights, 55 degrees, like record low temperatures. You talk about a rough night. It was a little bit of a rough night for the Adams family. Uh, final Ooh. thought, Jeff or Connor, before we get ready to go here. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let, we've gone here. Let's finish it. I want to know everybody's favorite Major League Baseball stadium. Brandon Stark, your favorite Major League Baseball stadium. The nicest one I've ever been to. Not, and I've been to Wrigley Fenway. I love the history, but the best one's in San Francisco. I mean, uh, I don't have a lot of great things to say about San Francisco, but that ballpark is a, is a beautiful, beautiful venue for baseball. Connor? Fenway Park. Why is this even a question? Fenway is fun. Uh, I had a, a chance to be a Fenway decade or so ago, and it was it was a cool experience. Jeff, how about you? Jeff, we were together. Were we were together for the Wrigley Field game uh, in 2017? We were. Yeah, right? we were. We were. Yeah, a lot of lot of great memories in Wrigley, especially at. You know, can I can I say outside the ballpark? Can I say outside the ballpark is a ballpark? I've had I've had a chance to watch a game at Wrigley from the the seats outside outside really? the venue. Wow, the and rooftops. Yeah, the rooftop, that was really cool because obviously you had all your um, – uh, let me say, obviously you had all your uh, enhancements to your evening that you wanted, sure, yeah. uh, a lot of amenities and things like that. And there was actually sure, actually a home run ball or two that came out that way too. And you oh, get to see everybody on Waveland that went crazy when it went through. Um, everybody has a ballpark that really strikes a chord. I remember I, remember I went to Oriole Park at Camden Yards when Cam- Cal Ripken was still there, and for me – now I know it's dated now, but for back for back then, oh, the yeah. feeling, the feeling that it whisked over you is like, hey, this is as good as a ballpark looks. You're over there by the harbor. You're over there in that area. Um, that's really strong too. But yeah, sure. there's a lot. There's a lot of them. I mean, in Wrigley, inside and outside is pretty good too. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, listen for everybody who's been on this for Cover Four Live tonight. We certainly appreciate that. We'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Uh, obviously, we'll have Jeff Sintel tomorrow. A lot more recruiting talk with him on Dog Nation Daily. Can't wait for that. Of course, Connor Riley, Mike Griffith, also a lot to come in the days to come at dognation.com as well. Busy time for Georgia football. Obviously, we wish the softball team best of luck as they continue their run in Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series and so much more fun on the way there as well. So have a great night leading into a great weekend, we hope. See you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily and next time here very soon on Cover 4 Live. Talk to you then, everybody.